Lily, stop jumping on the door. Welcome to the Barely Saved Podcast, where we have the discussions real Christians don't have. Here's your hosts. Hi, I'm Rebecca. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Caleb. So, Lindsay, you're in isolation. Yeah. You've been in isolation a lot. Yeah, I don't know how I'm like the person taking it seriously, and yet I keep being exposed to people who aren't. So waiting to hear back from a test from someone who thinks they have it and are waiting back for their test. So I hopefully will just have to be here for until they get their test back today. But one of the things they encouraged us to do is basically, if you have been exposed and they were symptomatic, then you should kind of wait until you figure out and not be around other people. And I probably shouldn't have been on campus teaching my classes, so I did not go today, Um, (laughs) just in case. To be fair, when... When you were isolated in the beginning, and cause, because Brett had it, it wasn't like it was you having exposed yourself to people who weren't cognizant. It was at the very beginning, at least. Yeah. <laughs> this one is preventable, but people did not act responsibly. So here's the weird thing about this whole COVID situation and, and how the testing is like not great or super accurate or whatever, because one of Nate's coworkers, um, his fiance, tested positive. So everybody at Nate's work, like they have their own individual, like shut door offices. Mm -hmm. And if they leave their office, they all have masks. If they go to somebody else's office, they wear a mask. They wipe down everything. You know, like they have assigned bathrooms that they're allowed to use. And everybody wipes their, wipes the bathroom down after they, like it's very controlled in that way. And Nate's been really anal about it. But so one of his coworkers, he and his fiance live together. His fiance tested positive. He did not. They're both symptomatic. And he actually like was sicker feeling based on what the email sounded like, sounded like he felt worse than she did. But his test was negative. I feel like we should have tested him again. I know. You see, false negatives are way more likely than false positives. So it's like, it's super irritating. And like, I have some empathy or like understanding of like why people are so fed up with or not wanting to think it's serious. So I went down the rabbit trail of like historical pandemics the other day because I was just curious. Bad rabbit trail to go down. Yeah, although actually it says it's probably part of why I've responded appropriately because there was an article that came out about basically people who like horror movies, zombie films, or like are fascinated by this kind of stuff have responded appropriately because basically they've rehearsed it like in the same way that they have you like practice having difficult conversations. The fact that your brain is already engaged with these like scary topics means you were less likely to like freak out because you're like, I have a framework to handle it. Sure, I'm just saying seven months in is a little late. Yeah, I was already, I'd already gone down the rabbit hill before I was- I know you have, we've talked. I know, but it's just fascinating because like we like to think, we're like, this is crazy and it's unprecedented. We're like, this is basically the normal human experience. Like, so you know how long the Black Death pandemic lasted in Europe? Almost two centuries. Well, there are multiple of them. But the, fir- but the first pandemic, the first pandemic wave, like the first actual set of like epidemics breaking out of outbreaks, it was 200 years where like once every five years, there was a Black Plague pandemic that like went through Europe. Every five years, basically every five years people got it. Um, it was coming through and it would like destroy things. And that was after the whole quarter of Europe died. We've lived in a period of unprecedented health and safety, not so much that pandemics are unusual. So what's what's unprecedented, though, because there was an unprecedented response, right? We started closing things down when not even a per- 1% of our population had gotten it. So there is unprecedented things here because our response was really fast. So it should be better than it is now. <laughs> 
So part of the thing is because our response was really fast, everybody who's always lived in this experience of balance have been like, no, that was an overreaction. It wasn't that bad. But the, the reality is, had we not responded like that, we'd have more people dead. And like we're seeing now, it's already... Because we responded, because we did the things early, because it's unprecedented to do them early. Now people are like, oh, no, you guys were overblowing it. Only just over a million people have died and 20% of those are in the US. Like, it's not that bad. Yeah, it's like, yeah, we forgot. It's like, you know, we learned from, you know, dealing with polio and bubonic plague. And we, we only have written history going back 6,000 years of plagues happening. So that's all that we can like look back at and learn from. Yeah, it's not like it's not like the word quarantine literally comes from the Black Death or anything. It's like, I'm sorry that you're 50 years on this planet. You've not seen something that we've read about happening for literally hundreds of years and know what the response should be. Yeah. And we're having an informed opinion. I'm sorry that your little middle class lifestyle doesn't prepare you to handle crisis. I think it just isn't is so indicative of I mean, partially that but also the individualistic mentality of of people thinking that we are the culmination of history, right? I mean, and, and every generation has been the culmination of history to that point up until that point. But that doesn't mean that that we shouldn't like be looking back on how that happened or like we we tend not to to look back at history for it as much as we should and therefore think that everything that's happening to us now is like all about us instead of seeing us tied into the greater like human history story and that's remarkably frustrating we we have a we are not good at learning from history instead we want to only learn from the very narrow experience that we've had. And that's a lot of the problem. Well, and then the same people who are, at least they're consistent, the same people who are so disinclined to recognize that we are not that special in a pandemic situation, historically, are also the ones who like don't have any real desire to acknowledge like the historical issues of our country as a whole when it comes to race relations or like any of those things too. So at least they're consistent. Right, at least they consistently don't care about the facts. Did you know? Vietnam confiscates over 300,000 recycled condoms for sale. Who needs that many condoms? Vietnam. I just don't want to know who cleaned them all. Yeah, who cleaned? How do you? Is this lady? She got paid 17 cents for every two pounds of condoms that she cleaned and recycled. Oh my gosh. So think about this deal. Think about this deal. 320,000 condoms for $65. Yep. Nope. She got paid $65 to clean all those. Yes. What does that equal in like Vietnam money? I don't know. I don't know what, is what Vietnam money is called. <laughs> I don't know, but that is not very much. I'm pretty sure that the spending power of $65 is not that much. It's not. I just looked up the cost of living in Vietnam is about $535 a month. Yeah. Of course, we don't know how many condoms she was like cleaning. That's just what they picked up. That's just what they confiscated? Yep. Wow. So in the links, there is a link to the original... Vietnamese report that I encourage everybody to go watch that video um, just because it's fascinating. First off, watching news videos in other languages is 
always fun because you get to see like other countries have news reports and you might not be able to understand anything that's going on, but it's just kind of fun to see. But then like just, just piles of condoms that have been cleaned, some that haven't been cleaned, the wooden stick that they use to form it. It's all like, wow. No, no, no. The wooden prosthesis is what the article called it. Okay, when you go look at it, like, because you can see the, you can see it on the video. It's in the news report. They actually put it in the news. That's an, that's kind of impressive, actually. Yeah. So when you watch it, you can just, it's just a stick. It just looks like a dowel rod with a rounded tip. Nope. I think my Baptist is showing. Lindsay doesn't want to watch the video. <laughs> but you would think like, who needs that many condoms? And then you think, well, it's in Vietnam. And Vietnam, the Vietnamese people use five to 600 million condoms every year. Yeah. I mean, okay. And the the article also did talk about how, like, the recycling of condoms in developing countries is often tied to sex work, though. So the odds are probably that this, and she said it's an unknown person who is... Which, I mean, that might be unknown to the news person, but I... It's, well, unknown to the person who was caught. Like, she doesn't know who it is that drops off a pound of condoms every week for her to clean. Right. Which means it's most likely tied to some sort of not good business practices. But still, that's just such a weird... Number one, I didn't know that condoms were actually cleanable. Well... I mean, not... I mean, to to, a, to, to, to some extent, like... Yeah, like, but if they're using it for women in sex trafficking, it's not like they actually care about the actual health of these people. <laughs> everything's cleanable well no oh i know i just it's not something that i would have ever thought of like not hey let's try and use this again that just seems like right but like i mean at least according to the process like it it seems probably like the best way to do it right you boil them then you dry them and reshape them when you boil them you're going to revulcanize the rubber so that's going to help it to be strong like it's the same thing that happens before so that's the best way to treat them if you're going to do it right you don't want to use something like bleach because that can break it down heat is the best way to sanitize them but also ew and that's the bigger issue (laughs) and maybe that is the thing maybe maybe we're just hung up on the ick factor i mean if it here if it was proven no Hold on, no, no. I'm just saying, if it was proven that it was actually effective... They're more likely to break, slip, or leak. So there, there is... It does weaken them, right? To, to reuse them, to restretch them. It yeah. does weaken them. They're less likely to be 100% effective. Which makes sense. So, but I'm just saying, if this was something that ended up being proven that there was a reusable condom option, like in general for birth control. They exist. They're just expensive. So a reusable condom is never something that I've looked into, except like they have diaphragms for women or those sorts of things, but not, I've never actually looked into that for, that that was an option for men. Mm -hmm. But like, here's the thing. Latex is cheap right? Latex comes from trees. It is one of the actual things that like reduce, reuse, recycle. There's no need to reuse. It is a 100% renewable use source. That's like reusing toilet paper. Like we reduce toilet paper, right? Use a bidet. It's better. But also like, it's not a big deal to throw it away. It is a actually renewable resource. Like Ew. Yeah, I think it's just indicative of, like, y'all were saying about it being probably used for trafficked women. And so it already shows just a basic level of disregard for the people that are being exposed, right? It's just like the kind of person who can traffic someone is apparently also the same kind of person who, surprise, doesn't really care about their health long term, right? Like... (laughs) Right. Not sure that that's shocking, but... (laughs) I think that an indication to that was like 17 cents for a kilo of condoms. 
Yeah, it's like, oh, look, we're all about exploiting people. Surprise! People who are willing to exploit people one way are willing to exploit them in other places too. Yeah. I'm in a super Mark Twain mood today, so this could be interesting. <laughs> See, this is what happens. We have this light, cheery article, like, look at all these condoms. Isn't this fun? And then we talk about how terrible it is. And then it escalates to... <laughs> yeah, I watched Taken the other day, so that's <laughs> what I watched instead of the debate. It's because it was cathartic to watch the bad guys get stopped. So there's a thing that I have been saying for the last couple of years, um, really since 2017 is when I started using the phrase, is social media is a deeply weird place, right? Social media is designed to get you on there to watch advertisements so that way you are the product being sold to people. And rather than outrage that we're being sold and trafficked for our views, we're like, oh, no, this is fantastic. It's amazing. We can connect with people. We can connect with people from all over the world who have the same interests as us. And only connecting people with people who we agree with who keep us on there has a huge tendency to isolate people. Just like moving it, living in a geographic region isolates people and they tend to agree. Social media, because of its isolating nature and how the algorithms work, isolates people exponentially more than other things. And it's weird because normally we like to think that's bad, right? We don't want to only think with people like us. But social media encourages that kind of groupthink. And I... I think it's fascinating just to look at social media and like, let's be clear, I'm on social media. I'm on social media probably more than I should be. And I'm on the worst form of social media, which is Facebook. I'm not saying you can't be on social media, but what are you guys' thoughts about the weirdness of social media, all of those things? I hate that social media has become a place where it's like acceptable to do like business stuff on it. Like the number of people who expect to have a Facebook so they can like reach out to you professionally is irritating. And I would delete it if we didn't have to use it for such things. My husband already did. He deleted his first and I was like, dang it. <laughs> no, I have to keep mine so people can still reach us. Um, Cause that's that's how people in our district reach out and connect with you. And so people are, they're like, have you been ignoring us? I'm like, no, we just don't ever check our messages on social media. Um, it's not on my phone. If I'm not on my computer, I'm not, I don't have access. Like, I can check this stuff, but I don't have Messenger or anything installed. Um, I even put a timer on my phone for one of those like social, like the wellness timers. So it blocks Facebook after a certain amount of time because it's terrible. And like, yeah, like you said, it's super polarizing. And there's a lot of research that basically says it's real bad for you. It's, it creates anxiety, depression, and a polarized echo chamber. And it's intentionally addictive. Well, yeah, it's that's the design though, right? Mm -hmm. the, the way that they sell themselves is for you to advertise on there and for people to be served ads. So, you know, I run a couple of pages and I don't give Facebook money, but every day, every time I check Facebook for my three pages that have quite a few people that follow them, there's like, here, give us $25 and we'll give you $50 worth of ads just so that your thing can be served. And I know that the algorithm is intentionally and deliberately stopping my things from being served to people because I won't give them money. And it's, it's sitting here going, Facebook is selling your views to people like me. Facebook is making $12 a month off of every single free account. This is why you install Adblocker. But Adblocker doesn't work on Facebook. I think it does. No. Because everything, all of the ads still come through because they're just another post. That's how they're coded. They just say sponsored. I feel like I had a, one they used to block them. I don't know if they do anymore. It used to. Adblocker used to block them, but it doesn't anymore. They're just a post. That's how they come through. There's things that you can block 
your whole newsfeed, which let's be real, the newsfeed is the worst part of Facebook. Don't, don't use the newsfeed. If you're going to be on Facebook, go to groups, follow the people that you want to see first, and then skip everything else. You get to the end of your stars where you don't, where you see people first, and then turn it off because that's all the further you need to scroll. So I turned on my ad blocking to aggressive on Facebook and told it to block some scripts. And there's literally like, I can screen share it, but there's nothing here on this page now. Like it blocks the whole thing. <laughs> yep. I have it. You can set it to, it stops blocking you. You can set it. If you use like ad blockers, it'll stop tracking you around on the rest of your internet. So that's nice. Oh, right. Well, I do that, right? Like you have to, Well, you don't have to, but most people, yeah. Facebook follows you around and that's how the ads are so targeted. So that's fun. <laughs> Not to mention there's a, like they were super sketchy and they did, I can't find the article that talked about it, but I read a while back. Basically they were like messing with people's algorithms and were like showing people like friends who were like really anxious and depressed and they were only seeing those posts and then people started posting more anxious and depressed things yes oh that's not cool they were manipulating people um and those are the kinds of things that you have to learn about in grad school when you do human interactions like i couldn't even interview someone to transcribe their language without going through an entire class about like ethics and research because you can't use people as human experiments without their consent but signing up with facebook's terms you basically are giving your consent for whatever they want to do to you uh-huh you know they're what two billion users yep and so they basically made people depressed on purpose no i don't think they did but they were trying to see what happened they were like what happens if we show people all this stuff okay i think that you are putting too much thought into them. They're not as malicious as we want to make them out to be. Well, they were trying to intentionally manipulate people to see what they could do and upset and depress is an easy emotion to generate and measure. Right. But they're, they're, it's it's as much accidental properties of what they're doing, right? Like they're not go setting out to say, can we make people depressed? It's more a uh, Let's see what happens when we do this, because that'll be a fun thought experiment. Well, and it gives them a better way to market things if they can start to manipulate how people are thinking. And so like, this was back in the early days of it. This is a while ago now. Oh yeah. So this is like, what? how do we shape how people are responding to the world? And they're like, sweet, this makes us better advertisers and more effective and we can sell people stuff for more because we can generate the responses that we want. And here's the proof. Look, we made these people depressed, see? <laughs> One of you guys had an airplane in, in your background. I heard it there, sorry. I'm distracted. It was me. It flew, like we're right under the flight plan. So they fly right over my house. Okay. And so then on the flip side, there's all, we see all these negative aspects to it. So Caleb, you watched The Social Dilemma? Have you watched it or? It's on Netflix. I haven't watched it. Oh yeah, duh. That's why I was asking if you guys had, because I'm not ever going to watch it until it comes on something else. That's true. I forgot. I forgot it was on Netflix. So, but there also has been, uh, I think that the negative side of it, of being more isolated, especially in like the echo chamber-esque type of <clears throat> issues is probably for me i would say like the biggest the biggest issue because it has led people to believe that they are more diverse or more like well read or more learned than they actually are because they're you feel like you're exposed to a lot of different things but maybe you're not actually um and so i think that that false sense of knowledge or education or exposure is hazardous but on the flip side though there is so much that can be done through social media really well in connecting with people if you actually are talking with connecting with people who are different or learning or marketing your networking and all those things. So, I mean, the three of us sitting here have come together via Facebook ultimately was the initial hit, right? Yeah, the three of us have never sat in the same room at the same time. We're doing this. I'm on the East Coast. Lindsay's in the Rocky Mountains and Rebecca's in the Pacific Northwest. We're in three different states, three different time zones, have never met in person. 
but we talk on social media and that that's where our friendship, our relationship has formed and developed. So I don't want to say that social media is all bad or all evil because there is good that comes of it. Yeah, right. I think I think it comes from the more that we know, then at least the more aware we can be of how how we use it and how we let it dictate or not our lives. I think there's a difference. We have to distinguish between like the benefits of the internet and the connection that that can provide versus social media as we experience it. When we talk about social media, like Instagram and how most people use Facebook, right? Because we talk about, so I like Instagram because I use it like National Geographic where I'm like, what's a cool nature photographer or a Hubble telescope thing, right? And I follow like, it's like being a kid and getting Nat Geo. You're like, here's, like I'm not following influencers taking pictures of their like hashtag whatever life. I'm like, here's someone who works for National Geographic. They're a photographer. Here's the cool pictures they're taking. Here's this journalist. Like, so I don't have like the whole FOMO thing using Instagram, right? I'm not like, oh, look at this person in their idealized world, you know, and she's like completely Photoshopped and airbrushed face or whatever because I'm not using it to like dream about my idea self and so I had to take a class once in marketing when I worked at a climbing gym and they're basically like you're selling a lifestyle that's what's happening with like things like you know Instagram with Facebook we're selling this identity right and so I think yeah so there's a difference between like using the, the internet as a tool to connect people across vast amounts of space versus like when we say social media we're talking things like you know Instagram and how we use that or like TikTok and how the students use that or you know if that makes sense like there's a difference between just using the internet in general and social media as using addiction and kind of that micro serotonin hits every time someone likes your post mm -hmm. to create this kind of like little weird insular network. I don't know. And it's hard because they all kind of seem like they start one place and go the other. We were talking about Reddit before they started. I was like, I don't follow any of the big ones. But if you find like a hobby where people like the same hobby as you, you're talking about that. That's different than letting your opinion be shaped by like, you know, the r slash all on Reddit and be like, what's happening in the world? This is insane. It's great for like small hobbies and people who share things that you don't always have access to. I, it's great because I can find I like knitting patterns from people all over the world. Like, hey, have you learned this? Try this. Here's all this help and like expert advice that would take me way longer. Granted, I could Google it, but it's way faster to have someone who's like, here, try this. And they'll like send you videos of them fixing the thing that they just did. They're like, here, and they're talking to you as they're doing it right there. Here, is this is, have you tried this? Like you told me, but there's that kind of social media. <laughs> you know, there's the people who love something coming together to share the thing that they love, which is different, I feel, than when we are using it to sell this like lifestyle. And it's hard because it can easily cross over, right? Because that thing that somebody loves can then become like marketed as a lifestyle, right? It's kind of the whole joke about hipsters, right? Somebody started off really liking this stuff and now it's a whole like persona. I'm pontificating. <laughs> yeah. That's why that's why I love things like Pinterest, which has its own has its own like evil side of like, you know, that well, isn't there a show on Netflix or somewhere that's like called Nailed It and it's people trying to recreate Pinterest things and it just failing. That's how my life goes. I know, same here. Like I'm so not, and I'm, I'm totally fine with like not being a Pinterest mom. Like I'm not, but, but I still love it because I can go on and be like, okay, I need a recipe or like, for example, I'm going, you know, now I'm in my third trimester of pregnancy. So it's like, I, I'm starting to think about freezer meals again. And all right, what am I, what, what are the, what are the like dump crock pot meals I want? Or what are the instant pot freeze them and dump them in and they're they'll be ready to go type type things and and Pinterest is phenomenal for that because I as long as you're not using it to and you're self-aware enough to not use it for your own self-worth or to not and just like be cognizant and maybe that is one of the bigger issues culturally surrounding social media is that number one people are not self-aware enough to recognize when it's unhealthy and people just aren't self-aware enough 
in general, period, but aren't able to use good things in moderation. It's an all or nothing kind of kind of thing. And and I, I mean, we're we're all guilty of it, of using it too much, I'd say. Yeah, social media is, it's a weird thing, right? It's a deeply weird place because on the one hand, it makes us polarized. And on the other hand, I've made friends through social media who I disagree on almost everything with, right? And that's how that works because social media is weird. On the one hand, it isolates you into people and your silos. And on the other hand, it can be used with some intentionality to expose you to things that you would have never thought you wanted to be exposed to. And so I have a whole theory on how Christians should use social media. Of course you do. Of course I do, right? I have theories on everything. No, um, this is why we're friends. It is. I overthink everything, right? I was taking an internet quiz the other day that was like, don't overthink these things. It's like, how do I take a quiz? And I have two seconds to click a button. How do I not overthink it in two seconds? Like that doesn't work. Right? My favorite example of a quiz like that was a buddy of mine. We were doing the color code test in Chi Alpha, and he was like, "It was like question number two, and you're you're again, you're supposed to go with um, how you were like as a child, as much as you can remember. And if you if you really are stuck, you can ask for input from people of around you who who know you well enough. <clears throat> and so he's like, "Guys, I can't decide on number two. And like the four of the four options, like one of them was indecisive. We were both, we all just kind of like were quiet and looked at him and, and he's like, oh, never mind. I figured it out. I have a quiz you need to take, Caleb, if you have a hard time taking tests then. Okay. Uh, send it in the chat if you can while I explain my grand theory of social media. Um, so a few weeks ago, like almost a month ago now, we talked about kingdom of God values, what those look like. And... Kingdom of God values are found in the Sermon on the Mount, are found in Romans chapter 12. And what we see is that the world tells us to love our neighbor and hate our enemies. But what Jesus tells us is to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. If your social media consumption causes you to hate or causes you to despise, it's time to get rid of it. If your social media is not forming you to love those who you disagree with, if it's not helping you to weep with those people who are weeping, if it's not helping you to celebrate with people who are celebrating, it's time to get rid of it. If when somebody disagrees with you about who should be the president of the United States, if that makes you angry or makes you hate somebody, your social media consumption is unhealthy and needs to be gotten rid of. But if your social media consumption is helping to shape you into Christ-like character, to where you see somebody that you disagree with and say, Jesus loves them too. I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to help them to see truth, actual truth, not just that Trump is better or Biden's better, but no, this is what the facts say. This is what studies say. If that's how your social media helps to shape you as a person, good, stay on, do that. Because if everybody vacates social media, it only becomes more isolated, more silos. We need people who are people of peace to speak into all areas of the world. We need people who are people of peace to go to Seattle where there's people protesting and say, I'm a person of peace. I will be a presence of peace in this space or encouraging people to calm down. We need that in those spaces. We need that in our online spaces. And so if you're a person who can do that, be on there, stay on there and bring peace. But if you can't, if your social media use causes you to be angry causes you to be outraged, 
causes you to think things about people that they're less than fully loved and created in God's image, it's time for you to get off social media and go back to God's word and go back to studying the scriptures, because that is shaping you into somebody who is very different than the picture of Jesus in scripture. That was a good rant. Good job, Caleb. It's my grand theory of social media use. Congratulations. So, no, I think it's good because I think what's hard, though, is like, so as so I'm on the diversity task force with Chi Alpha, and there's been pushback in certain districts from us talking to people about stuff because their other ministers are convinced that talking about dealing with racism in the church is not a kingdom issue. And so they're like, why are you like, so right. So as someone who's approaching it from a kingdom, like, I'm like, I think this is a kingdom issue. And they're like, I don't, why are you being divisive? Right. It can be really hard to navigate that. Cause like, I like your definition, but I think what we're seeing a lot is we don't agree on the definitions of what is a divisive issue sometimes. And so it's hard because they're like, why are you stirring up hate and talking about this? And we're like, because we need to deal with it. And they're like, they're accusing. Because there's a sin issue? Yeah, but see, they're like, it's not a, it's not a thing. Why are you talking about this, right? And it's just like, how do we get past that? Because I totally agree, like, if it's causing you to deal with, like, like, hate a person, but also, like, I don't know, because, like, God is slow to anger, but there are things that make him angry, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, there's a difference between something making, like, something causing anger, causing you to feel anger, and something that causes you to then, like, respond in hate or hate someone because of it. What if someone thinks disagreement is hate? Because <laughs> that's what the... Well, then they're dumb. But that's the that's the rhetoric, though. I know, but that is the problem, is that one person's one person bringing up... I mean, I, we've seen this happen with Caleb multiple times in specific Facebook groups. Like, <clears throat> he brings something up and stirs the pot to bring it to the top, which, frankly, is... Pot stirring is a ministry. Pot stirring is a... <laughs> Pot stirring is ministry, but also stirring the pot in almost everything you cook is necessary. So yeah, if you don't stir the pot, everything sticks to the bottom. It burns. It gets grossed, and everything is ruined. You haven't made macaroni and cheese, and you don't stir the pot. Disgusting, right? It makes it so sad. Also, box macaroni and cheese. You sh- it should be eaten with Cool Ranch Doritos. I'm just saying, it's amazing. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> And I do think, Lindsay, your, your point to how do we have these like proper definitions of what is actual division? So biblically, what is something that is divisive? Or what, is it, what does Paul mean when he says, warn a divisive person once and then have nothing to do with them? What word? I, I don't know. What word is that in Greek? I haven't looked into that yet. But um, Caleb's going to go look it up. Because we don't have standard definitions of this is divisive, this is a kingdom issue, this isn't, we're going to have to just navigate those messy conversations in a way that tries to bring people along to the cause of Christ versus just completely shutting them down. And I know that that's something that I've struggled with when I get into conversations with people, when I just want to like show them why they're wrong or just and just because I don't want to deal with it. And yet that's not actually going to bring people to a place of dialogue. So kind of what I said before, it's like using our using our time and energy on social media effectively um, with the people that we can actually speak into. But but yeah, how do, how do we, how do you address that when somebody says, oh, this isn't a kingdom issue. And you're like, no, it is. This like clearly should be, shouldn't everything. Well, and I guess there's an argument to be made for everything is a kingdom issue because it affects the image bearers of God. Now I just rambled and I don't actually have an ending point to that thought besides I want macaroni and cheese and corn Doritos. <laughs> 
So that passage that you're speaking of is found in Titus chapter 3. You know, the heading is be ready for every good work. I'll start reading in verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. That word division, stirred up division, is hereticos, means divisive, contentious, or a heretic. So I don't think... I don't think that what this is speaking about is somebody who thinks that the Kansas City Chiefs are the best football team ever, and I like the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't like either of those teams, right? So I'm choosing teams that are none of our teams, I hope. Heretic. I don't care about sports. (laughs) Oh, me either. So I just chose teams. And I just like the Seahawks, so I don't really care. But if we like those teams or we support those teams... Me and Rebecca disagreeing on which sports team matters because the Seahawks are trash. Which is also just false right now, gotta say. That's not what this is talking about. That is not the kind of division that Paul is talking about. Paul isn't telling us not to have conversation about things that matter. Paul is not telling us to avoid those conversations that we might disagree on. What he's telling us is not to let that cause a fission in the body of Christ, not to let those things separate us, right? If me and Lindsay disagree on a political issue, that issue should not be have the potential to end our ability to have fellowship together. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? A couple weeks ago, RBG passed away, right? Her and Antonin Scalia had a friendship, even though they disagreed on almost everything everything political and in the law they had deep disagreement on those things and they were able to have friendship and while rbg might not have been a christian wasn't a christian she exemplified that value of not being a divisive person we can disagree we can have that thing but we're not gonna let that separate us because there's things that matter more And honoring people who are image bearers of God matters more. Not hating people because they disagree with us matters more. Yeah. So my question is how do we... mm, Never mind. This is off on a tangent that... Just cut that. If you can ask it, (laughs) then we can cut it. Well, it was more because I think think a lot of what I, I see is people who respond... There's a lot of posts that have gone around Facebook in particular that are basically like demonizing those who are more, I see more people, I see more liberal people, quote unquote, sharing memes and things that uh, demonize Trump supporters than than the other way around. See, that's the exact opposite in my experience. So, which is interesting. So we're talking about the deep weirdness of social media. That's the deep weirdness right there. Yeah, but but you live in a more liberal area. I live in a conservative area, so it's... I don't live in a more liberal area. Oh, no, she's in Washington. We're, we're all Washington. Oh, that's fair. I do have... But here's the thing. So, Lynn, I do have... I do have a really, really broad spectrum of people on my social media. So, I have, like, socialist 
uh, hating, like literally to hate Jesus people on my Facebook friends list. Socialist doesn't mean you hate Jesus. <laughs> I was trying to like change change that, not uh, not add to it. That was supposed to be a like, never mind. Okay, so, and I have like crazy fundamentalist like conservative. So, but I do tend to see uh, some of the logic of people who like like say who post like demonizing Trump supporters because it's saying, well, you you are supportive of this person dishonors dishonors this aspect of my of my life, which is true. I'm sh- in a lot of ways. I was gonna say, yeah. Question: What happens? What happens when it's true? <laughs> what happens when that's true? And yet. I'd say a lot of those people that I do I do see sharing those kind of demonizing Trump supporters also are not are not Christians. So it's this weird navigation of well yeah, when when someone shares a meme or something that essentially talks down about women in ministry or talks to like those things it's it is still intensely personal. And yet again maybe it comes back to the self-awareness that we have to separate the hurt that someone causes by their political or social or gender beliefs from the fact that they still have inherent value as an image bearer of God. Mm -hmm. Social media feeds you the things that keep your attention, right? When you have the Facebook app or Facebook open on your computer, they're tracking everything that you do. Not only are they looking at if you've applied or if you hit that like button, but if there's somebody's post that you just stop on and read the comments, they know they're tracking you. They know that you stayed on this person's post for 30 seconds. And that could have been you were outraged at this person trying to decide whether or not it's worth responding to, right? Because that happens. Let's be real. All and the time. So they know that. And so they're going to feed you more and more of those people's things, creating an echo chamber by what you're angry at. Because Facebook doesn't know that you stopped on there because you're angry or because you agree. All they know is you read it for a long time. And that means they can serve you more and more ads. That's the deep weirdness of social media. I would imagine that Lindsay and Rebecca don't have that different of communities. They both don't take COVID seriously, right? Our communities don't. They both are overwhelmingly Trump supporters. So your communities aren't that different. But your social media feed is hugely different because that's what Facebook does. It figures out which things keep your attention, which is why social Facebook specifically causes problems, right? Look at what happened in Myanmar. There was a whole revolution caused by Facebook. Like this is happening. I missed that apparently. The Rohingya? Yeah. So like, and Facebook of course doesn't take responsibility for all of the dead people, even though like almost certainly caused by them. Okay, this is when this is when I get interested, right? Because there's a point where, and I think this is what I've been wrestling with. Lee. Facebook sa- Facebook says they just made the tool and people used it in that way, but that's not the case because the algorithm does things. So yesterday I was driving on my scooter and I drove behind a car that no joke said, "Don't blame me. I vote. I voted for Jefferson Davis and unreconstructed on the back of their bumper stickers." When when do we call a white supremacist a white supremacist and how like and then. Because talking about that often in churches is like, nope, sorry, we can't talk about that. Like, and when do we hold the people who are enabling that accountable? There's a great book called They Thought They Were Free. It's by a uh, German who goes back and interviews people. And the whole thing he talks about is like, you keep waiting for people to be outraged and for them to step up because it can't get worse than this, right? Everyone else sees this too, right? 
you keep waiting and you keep waiting and you keep waiting and no one says anything. And then it's like, it's crazy. And I feel like there's somewhere between everyone is in the enemy and to a point like you call a fascist a fascist or a Nazi a Nazi or a white supremacist a white supremacist. And a hate crime is a hate crime. And it doesn't matter that how you feel about it. Like, I'm sorry that hurts your feelings. And I feel like the conflict is, is people are like, well, you're attacking my political views. And why are we talking about this? You're like, because people are like, people have died because people have run their cars into people who are protesting for their rights. If somebody is running a car through a crowd of people, that's not a both sides scenario. We're recording this, by the way, on Thursday, October 1st at about 1.30 is when we started recording. So that way, as things change in the world, like you can see what happened. 1.30 Eastern Daylight Time. Rebecca gave me a funny look because she's like, it's only 11 o'clock in the morning. I haven't had lunch yet. <laughs> but two days ago, there was a presidential debate where, you know, Trump and Biden debated. Lindsay didn't watch any of it because she needed to maintain her sanity. Even the transcript is enough to catch me to like Hulk out. Rebecca watched it. I watched the first 25 minutes of it and then had dinner and so. I did some tweeting during it. I made about 20 tweets, which was fun. Um, I'm not going to tell you where to go find those, but I will tell you that future debates, I will be uh, tweeting, live tweeting from at seven Hills Herald. That's the number seven. So the number seven Hills Herald, I will be live tweeting, which is going to be tons of fun for the future debates. When is the next debate? Wednesday, vice president debate. Oh man, live youth group. The debate happened, right? Two days ago. And the response of people on social media has been super interesting, right? Now, I think that it's probably safe to say that most of us don't really support Trump, even if we also don't support Biden. I personally don't endorse kings, um, so, or in this case, Caesars, I mean, presidents. <laughs> I, I don't endorse those because I don't endorse people in the executive branch. I'll endorse laws and then laws should be enforced. The executive branch fundamentally is not supposed to be a legislative body. So I do not endorse people in that office at all. Um, and previously, I don't, uh, I don't vote for them either. So for me personally, I don't know if I'll vote for president this year. I will vote for legislators, but I probably won't vote for the executive because I, I have an issue with that because the executive is not supposed to be political in the way that it is. It's always been political though. It has been, but also there is a point in the Obama presidents, well, the Bush Obama presidencies where there became a lot of legislating from the executive chair. And that's a problem because that's how you get to Caesar overtaking the Senate and then just becoming king. That's the steps. And that when it's that steps happening is when I say, yeah, no, no more. I'm not voting for that. I can't endorse who's going to eventually overthrow the government. <laughs> Even if it's not Trump, we're on the road. Interestingly enough, actually, it started way before then. Obama is not even in the top 10 most executive orders. Not most executive orders, but the kinds of things that he did with his executive orders. You mean like the Works Public Administration or the Civilian Conservation Corps? FDR's got the most, that's why. I, I know that FDR has the most, but here's what FDR did, right? He did those things and then he got the legislator to back it up, right? He didn't just keep on saying, oh yeah, I'm going to make DACA and keep it. Even though I like DACA, I wish DACA was a law passed by Congress, so it would be defendable in court better than just to say, Trump, you have to have a good reason to get rid of it, but it's not. So what I think is pretty funny is that most 
So the initial reactions was from people on both sides that I saw was how much of a dumpster fire the whole thing was. Only the ones on my feed who are really like, not just like reluctant Trump supporters, but like the only the ones who are like, yeah, we really love Trump, had any sort of initial like favorable reaction. And uh, so everybody kind of agreed that this was just a dumpster fire and not anything productive. Even people who are reluctant Trump voters because of just being Republican. But as time has gone on, I've seen more of like the justification or the or the defensiveness come out. So so seeing this sh- that shift was really interesting. I think for the most part everybody agreed that like America lost <laughs> that debate. I think the thing that is bothersome about how people reacted or like how they're kind of writing their own history about Trump's the way that President Trump speaks is I've seen so many people talk about how Trump's fighting back the like he's taken so much crap the last four years that he's he's just fighting back, which is a terrible coping mechanism. When someone just like loses their mind and screams at someone over like a conflict issue, and this has happened a couple different times within people I know personally, who they've bottled up all their issues and then screamed at someone. And then after feeling bad and apologizing for it, then then months later has justified it or said, well, I feel better and I feel at peace with it because I spoke like I, I fought for myself or I fought back like kind of mentality. It's like, no, 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 no. That, this is still really unhealthy. Like you can't. You don't get to do that as a Christian. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I'm glad Jesus told us to fight for ourselves and not carry our cross. Right. You still did the wrong thing. So you don't get to justify and say that, oh, I feel better now. Okay. Anyway, that aside... Um, number one is total hogwash because, and I comment, I've, I've responded to a couple of people because I was like, no, Trump talked like this and acted like this in the GOP primaries. Like this is consistent <coughs> of how he- Little Marco. Yeah. Belittling, demeaning, mocking, interrupting. Um, I mean, he did it worse this in this debate, I think, than he did in like the GOP primaries. I don't think he did. Oh, really? Okay. Maybe I'm misremembering. No, he just got more time to speak this time. He spoke more, but- because there was only two people on the stage instead of 13. Gotcha. So maybe I just, and I think in the primaries, ultimately, I was still very much like- I was convinced he wasn't going to win. Right. I was dismissing him as a, like, really? Come on. Okay, Lindsay, what was that reaction? Oh, as you were listening, I pulled up a transcript of it. Oh. And it is, I don't know how anyone is spinning this to make Trump look good. I I don't either. I. (laughs) Oh, okay. So I can tell you. Please enlighten us. Okay, so what you don't understand is the witchcraft that was happening behind the scenes from the other side. I saw that! It made me want to die! What you're missing is the fact that... God is less powerful than some crazy hippie person? No, what you're missing is that God needs Donald Trump to fight for him. Like, Donald Trump is God's champion. Like, don't you know that? Now... Here's the thing. Like, we say that. We're being sarcastic. Go read the book of Isaiah. Or we're not being sarcastic. Here's the problem. I'm not being sarcastic because I've seen those things. I've seen people who are actually serious say those things. Okay, we're lampooning it at the very least. Oh, for sure. Right? So people have said these things and people justify bad behavior because it makes them feel better about their allegiance. Almost like faith. Because a lot of people's allegiance, I don't know if you guys know this, is more to their political ideology than it is to the gospel of Christ. Because they're willing to justify people fighting back for, um, I saw one person say that they were, Donald Trump was fighting for the soul of America. 
And I just want to say, if America's soul is Christian, the ethic is to pick up your cross and die and then forgive the people who drive the nails through your hands. Like, that's the Christian ethic. If you want America to be a Christian nation, if you want to justify a president who is going to act in this kind of a way, stop calling it the name of Christianity because it's totally contrary to a kingdom of God ethic. And even if you think that Donald Trump's policies are the best, even if you think that the conservative idea is what we need, even if you think that uh, COVID-19 is a farce and we shouldn't have closed down in the way that we did, even if you think all of those things, that is not an excuse to justify bad behavior and say that he was fighting for God or he was fighting for Christianity, because that's not what he was doing. He was fighting to maintain his grip on worldly power. That's what that was. And even if we think that he should maintain his worldly power, we need to call that out and say that is not a Christian ethic. It's been a very, it was like, it was enlightening in some ways, but also the debate did nothing. I mean, it did something. What did it, what did it do? It's almost convincing me that I need to vote for the office of president. Hey, there you go. Like, I don't vote for president. Like, that's not a thing I do. I might vote for president now after that debate. I, Caleb, I really loved what you said about that. Because I think sometimes when I read when I read stuff on social media, I <clears throat> it's it's hard to formulate a response right then. Then you like want to go back to it later when they talk about like Trump fighting for the soul of America. And, and, and so I love the way that you put that really su- su- succinctly that we ended up if it's true, if we believe, if you believe that America is supposed to be a Christian nation, this is the Christian ethic, and therefore your logic is still shot. Not like somebody already died for your soul already, right? Like 2,000 years ago. And it's part of what we talked about last week with worship, right? God doesn't need us to fight his battles for him. Are you really telling me that the God who created all things, who holds the universe in the palm of his hand, needs Donald Trump to fight for him? Really? Is your God that weak? That's what I think when I see people talk about these things. Is it's like, is your view of God so weak that he cannot handle the whole world that he made and he's in charge of on his own? I think the answer is telling because it's it seems to be, yes, that is how small their God is, right? Because it, there's there's this deep-seated fear that if this isn't a thing, then everything's going to fall apart. And that's not the God I read about in scripture. No, not at all. Which means the God that they're worshiping is a false God. And that's terrifying because the place that people go who worship false gods is hell. And I don't want that. And so I trust that God is merciful. But how merciful is he when we continually reject him? I think that's what's so hard is one of the things is like, well, he's like, you know, a no nonsense, say it like it is man's man. I'm like, you know what? We have an example of what a man after God's heart looks like. It looks like Jesus, right? (laughs) Like who wept when his friend died, even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Like he wept with his friend's pain. He cried. He he played with kids who loved him. They're like, leave the kids alone. He's like, no, let the children come to me. Like this is like the guy who we have as an example is the same guy who was merciful to the Samaritan woman, who was merciful to the woman caught in adultery, and who called the Pharisees brood of vipers and overturned the money changers in the temple. Yeah, he's not a pushover, but he's also, look, we understand like, yeah, Meek is not weak and machismo is not the same thing as like masculinity, right? We're like, and so we have this weird idea of what powerful looks like. And it's almost like a little kid stereo, like making these crazy villains. And you're like, this isn't real life. This isn't how people really act. Right, this isn't what strength looks like, but it is. And it's crazy because it's like, I always love, so my great example is like, so it's hard for me to be meek, right? I am a small person, like, I don't, I don't physically intimidate people. So it's hard to be dem- demonstrably meek in the sense of like, people are like, okay, right, my dad's 6'8". 
he's a big dude. Like he was in the army when I was a kid. Like he's a big man. So he's very gentle and he's always been gentle, right? Kids and small animals like love him. He's like the small thing whisperer where like things just trust him. He's gentle. And the gentleness means more coming from him than from me because you know that we're here, right? Like I don't have a choice but be gentle, right? Like it's like, what are you going to do, Lindsay? Like talk really fast? It's like, okay, like The Rock. The Rock's a perfect example. Like Dwayne Johnson, right? Dude is super strong and people seem to just love him and they always want to give him hugs, right? Like you see people and they're like, can I hug you? Right? It's like, because it's got this power under control. And there's something about like not having, it's like the what Macbeth, the lady doth protest too much, methinks, right? You don't have to prove anything when you actually are something. The most hardcore people I know don't have to talk about it because they are and it speaks for itself. And there's this like this projection and this deep seated insecurity that we look and it's actually kind of tragic, right? Which I have to remind myself when I want to like question my stance on pacifism, I want to punch some of these people in the face, right? <laughs> like, because I'm so frustrated, but I'm like, wait, this is deep seated insecurity because it's a lack of knowing like who God is and who they are in response to that. And it's like, that's what we're seeing. We're not seeing confidence. We're not seeing power or authority. We're seeing someone who is so deeply afraid and so deeply insecure that they desperately need everyone else to validate them, right? And it's like, which is so sad because this is what we see in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve want to be, the snake tells them they're going to be like God. And the tragedies, they already are. They're made in God's image. Mm. And we're seeing the same thing happen again and again. And we want to be like God. We want to have the power and the authority and the chariots and the horses. But that's never what God asked of us, right? And we so we want to redefine God's image and make it in our image when we're already promised that God's made us in his image. And it just breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think there's been this interesting shift of 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 emotionalism or how we portray emotionalism, especially in men, or how we um how we talk about it, um, even in the last century. Because if if you read the letters from World War One, if you read how how men spoke about about fighting and dying and their fear and and all those things in World War One <clears throat> and even leading up to um, World War Two, they're demonstrably emotional and 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 vocal and 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 share in that way. And and then you hit it's like it's the 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 Depression era, you know, pull yourself up by your boot bootstraps and like deal with the suffering that you're experiencing by being stoic this rise of stoicism in masculinity which is not biblical it's been a cultural experience it's been a cultural shift and i did a message on emotional health back at the beginning of the year shockingly before covid hit um that talked about but and and talked about that a little bit it's like you want to look at what what it looks like to be, you know, let's let's remove this idea that somehow to be to be masculine is to is to be this brash anyway. And so it's like seeing both. I mean, Biden wasn't able to like hold his hold his composure as well as maybe some would ask him who would have wanted him to. At the same time, I mean, me if I was just trying to have a conversation with you guys here, and if my daughter was home and was pick 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 pick, pick like inserting herself like. I wouldn't have held it together as long as Biden did, um, you know? And so go ahead, Caleb, I'll let you talk about your favorite part. Yeah, okay. So uh, my favorite part of the debate. No, 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 no. This is not about the debate, right? Like we're intentionally avoiding the debate besides that you just went there. I don't know what all you said because I cut out for like 30 seconds. But Biden telling Trump to shut up, right? Because we're talking about the people's reaction on social media. At first, like everybody was like it was just totally a disaster and then as people were able to justify it to their sides the conservatives said oh i mean both sides were interrupting 
the Democrats were like, Joe Biden should have interrupted Trump more. And the people who were in the middle were like, that was still absolutely terrible. Although interestingly enough, those middle people have more favorable things about Biden than Trump, according to a lot. Of course they did, because he clearly won the debate. (laughs) Because all all of the immediately afterwards polls on both sides said that he won. Even conservatives, it's just the later justification that changes it. Anyways, you mentioned um, people saying that Joe Biden telling Donald Trump to shut up is inappropriate for the uh, to tell the president of the United States to shut up. And I think that what we're missing is that Donald Trump is talking to somebody who was the vice president of the United States for eight years. Like the seat that Joe Biden has held deserves as much honor as the seat that Donald Trump currently holds. And so to say that some, that it's okay for Donald Trump to talk over him and talk over him and talk over him and Joe Biden shouldn't have said shut up, to me, that's some crazy mad justification on social media. Because it's like, no, both of these people have been the most and second most powerful person in the world for the last 12 years. That is the status of these two people. And you're going to say that he shouldn't have said shut up to somebody who consistently interrupted him, who was incapable of being quiet? And this is the whole debate, like, how do you say something, right? Because it's like, yeah, he was like, you need to stop talking over me. Like, this is the thing. We've agreed to these rules. Like, you need to respect this and, like, respect. And you know what happened? If you watched the debate, you know what happened after Joe Biden said that? If you go back and you watch, you see how often they were talking over each other? Donald Trump stopped talking over Joe Biden a lot more for the next two segments. It wasn't until the last segment that he really started talking over him again. Telling Donald Trump to shut up worked. So and here's the thing, too, is like hearing the tone of Biden when he said it is it wasn't even like it didn't even sound super hostile. It was just like, shut up, man. Like, would you just shut up, man? Yeah, it was just exasperation. It wasn't there wasn't even like any any there was it didn't seem like there was vitriol. There wasn't. It was that you can talk. You have two minutes. I won't interrupt more than the one or two words that normally you get to like interject periodically. But let me talk. Yeah, like, just just shut up, man. So, and I think that speaks, too, is that it it wasn't, he wasn't defaming Trump. He wasn't trying to, like, bully back. It was just like, like, man, shut up. Like, you're, you're just, this is just exasperating. And I think that, that speaks, I mean, it was hilarious. But it also just speaks to, maybe speaks more to Biden's character that says, I'm not telling you, I'm not being mean. I'm not saying this out of hate or, like, it's just like, man, stop. <laughs> so in in 2008, when Joe Biden was running for vice president, he was asked a question about Sarah Palin's daughter. And Joe Biden's response was, that doesn't matter. Her, her daughter's not running. Family are off limits. And I think Joe Biden exemplified that continued ethic in this debate. Because is there things in Donald Trump's kids that he could talk about? Could he talk about his former marriages? Could he talk about all those things? Absolutely, he could. Especially because his kids are in positions of power in the government. They're actually... But Joe Biden holds to that families off limits, even while Donald Trump is constantly going after Biden's children. And I think the justification of that from people who would say, yeah, but family's not off limits, are the same people who were saying that Sarah Palin shouldn't have been attacked for what her kids were doing 12 years ago. And I, I just, to me, the amount of shift in the conservative, in quotes, conservative party is insane. Because 12 years ago, 
you wanted them to act like this. And now when they act with civility, you're mad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because what, this is my theory that I'm probably going to cut out. What the Republicans don't want is Christian virtue. What they want is a position of power to do what they want. The evangelical coalition formed around segregationist policies and public schools. And now what they want still is school choice and to have those positions of power. They don't care about overturning Roe v. Wade. Amy Coney Barrett won't overturn Roe v. Wade because she knows that that's how the conservatives have the power. Thanks for listening to the Barely Save podcast. Make sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes, links, and show notes at barelysavepodcast.com. Bye. Bye. Bye.